Hi, everybody. This is Amy. This is Dean's wife. Um, I'm just giving an intro for Dean. Um, he's going to be t teaching on tithing. Um, it's going to be um, several messages long because there's a lot of biblical scripture to cover um, in this subject matter. So um, I would encourage you to listen to all the messages. We don't want to throw them all up at once and overwhelm you. So <laughs> they'll be kind of slowly added probably on a weekly or every other week basis. Um, somewhere in there. Um, we would encourage you to listen to, to each one because if you just listen to one of them, maybe you listen to the first one and you don't listen to the, the other ones, you're going to miss something that, that kind of the whole subject is just too long to wrap up into one or two messages. So if you're enjoying it, we do, or if you, if you think you might mis be misunderstanding, especially, um, definitely listen to the whole series. Cause for example, Although we we personally do not believe that tithing is a New Testament command, um, we um, believe that it was a part of the Old Testament law. Um, even though we believe that, we also believe in giving. Um, but before Dean teaches on giving, um, he's going to cover some of this stuff that's been um, circulating in the church for many, many years just about tithing. Um, this idea that if you don't tithe exactly a 10% every week or more, then your, your finances are going to be cursed. Your family is going to be cursed. Um, and then you've got the opposite side of that, which is the teaching that, um, often goes hand in hand with that, which is if you do give your 10%, then all your children are going to be saved and you know, all your finances are going to be great and everything's going to smell like roses and you're going to give a hundred, get a hundred fold for everything that you gave. So financially, monetarily. So yeah, there's just so much to cover there. And so we're going to be covering all that, um, but it's going to take some time. And so at the end of the series is probably when he will do a, a full teaching on what God does expect of, of us in the giving realm, um, which is mainly just giving our all whenever God asked us to do so. And if God asks one brother to give give up his house for a single mom, then he needs to give up his house for a single mom if that's what God truly asked him to do. If may, God may not ask that of a different brother. Um, and so we, we all have to be led by the Holy Spirit in our giving, which is critically important. And when the Holy Spirit is leading us to do something, we do have to be willing to do whatever the Spirit is leading us to do. But again, we are being led by the Spirit in the new covenant, not by the letter of the law. So that's what we're kind of going to be covering in this series is, is what does it mean to be led by the Spirit and giving? What does it mean to be led by the letter of the law in the old covenant? So, so we will talk about that. We hope you enjoy it. We hope it liberates you. We believe that it will very much liberate you and um, you will love it. And so you guys enjoy. If you have any questions, please let us know and we'd be happy to answer them. Thanks for listening. And um, and so we as believers, we should be very giving, very, it should be just an expression of our thanks and our gratitude for the things that God has done for us. And again, giving is like everything else in the New Testament. We do not get, we do not give to receive God's favor, right? We can't give, you cannot give enough money to earn what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so whenever we give, whenever, no matter what it is that we're doing for the Lord, whether it's serving, whether it's praying, whether it's preaching, whether it's witnessing, whether it's um, giving money, whether it's helping out in our church, giving of our time, giving of our, you know, sacrificing to help with the children, things of that nature. We don't do these things to earn our salvation, 
right? We do these things because we are saved and because we're grateful for what the Lord has done for us. And so this is just an expression of worship. It's our offerings unto the Lord, okay? Um, so tithing. Now, when did tithing come into the church? If, um, if you look at the New Testament, Jesus nor any of the disciples, nor any of the apostles ever taught on tithing, okay? Now, Jesus did mention tithing in a couple places, and we're going to talk about those, but no teacher in the New Testament ever taught on tithing. And if you study the history of the church, it wasn't even uh, a part of the canon. In other words, it wasn't something that the church believed in in that this is what we believe and this is where we draw the line and this is what you must do to be a Christian. It wasn't part of that until the 6th century. Um, a matter of fact, tithing did not become an official teaching until the Synod of Macon in the year 585 A.D. Before that time, you never see it as something specifically canonized. The church, uh, that is the church leaders as a whole endorsing it. Um, and then a thousand years after that, uh, at the Council of Trent, um, in the Catholic Church, um, they provided excommunication if you didn't tithe. And so, but before 586, uh, 585 AD, as part of the church, it wasn't something that was taught to the people in the church. It wasn't something that this is what you have to believe. This is what you have to subscribe to, to be a Christian. It was only in the five, year 585 that they began that practice. Okay. And uh, again, in, in the New Testament, you don't see any examples of anyone tithing except for Pharisees. And you find that in Luke chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. In Luke chapter 11, verse 37, it says, Now when he, Jesus, had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and Jesus went in and reclined at the table with him. Um, and when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed his washed before the meal. Now, again, we all know about the Pharisees. They were all about washing. They were all about cleansing and, and all that kind of thing. And it says, but the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you, inside of you, you're all full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees. Listen to what Jesus says. For you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. And so, and that's the thing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so fastidious on tithing that every little thing, every little, uh, like if they had an herb garden, every first tenth percent they would give to the temple. Um, no matter what it was. And they were very, very careful that they made sure that they tithed everything. Okay. He says, but woe to you. And, and, it says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet, look at this, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So, 
Jesus says, you guys tithe, you do all, you know, you tithe even the tiniest fractions and the minutest portions of your herbs and your, in, in your herb gardens and things like that. But you've neglected the weightier portions of the law, which is, um, you know, justice and the love of God and things like that. He says, these things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, a lot of people teach on that part where Jesus says, these things you should have done without neglecting the others. And they're saying, well, Jesus here is, t is teaching that, you know, tithing is good. You should tithe and stuff. But that's not exactly what he's doing, right? Jesus isn't saying, yes, you should have tithed and you should continue to tithe. And, and one thing that you also have to keep in mind when you're reading about this is that the temple was still standing at this time. And as we get into this series, we're going to realize that the tithe came to the temple. It was for the temple and it came to the temple. And so Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So when Jesus was on the earth, he obeyed the things that, the, that were concerning the law, right? Right, and he encouraged it. And he encouraged it. And so when Jesus says you should have done these things without neglecting the other ones, he's not necessarily saying, he's not necessarily endorsing the tithe and saying that, you know, and everybody in every succeeding generation after this must obey the tithe and stuff. It's just like when Jesus goes to the churches in the book of Revelation, he says, I see your works. I see you do these good things. I see you, you love God and you're, you, you know, people uh, have been martyred. Uh, where you live and things like that, but this I have against you. And so in the same way, I believe that that's what Jesus is doing here with the Pharisees. You know, you guys giving and things, that's, that's awesome. But you're neglecting some things and God the Father wants you to deal with these things that you're neglecting. Okay, so I think that that's the sense in, in which Jesus is t talking right here. Turn to uh, Mark chapter 7. I hope I'm not interrupting or stealing your wind, but um, for the future that you're probably going to mention. But in Malachi, it's interesting, too, that a lot of preachers will use that to talk about the tithe. But then they don't talk about the fact that in the book of Malachi that the, the Jews were doing a whole lot more than just not tithing. They were in total rebellion against God. And, no. and when those scriptures are used by modern-day preachers to try to manipulate the people to give, they, they never talk about... You also need to be repenting of your sin, coming back to God, and all these other things. They just talk right. purely about the money. Well, and again, and, and yeah, hopefully next time we'll talk about Malachi. But again, that's the thing. that pe Preachers will use that scripture in Malachi um, to basically to enrich themselves. Yeah. And to preach a gospel of, of God just wants to prosper you. God just wants to bless you. And if you give to him, he's going to give you back a hundred thousand fold, whatever. God's going to just bless you and give you houses and jets and all kinds of cool stuff. And if you don't, he's going to curse you. You know, and, and so again, it becomes a manipulative tool in their hands to use to fleece sheep and to make their pockets full. So in Mark... Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus is again speaking with the Pharisees. And in verse 1 it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands that is unwashed. So there you see it again. All the, all the Pharisees could ever, could ever focus on 
was their traditions, the traditions of men. And honestly, in a lot of churches, in a lot of places, the tithe has become a tradition of man rather than the word of God. But that all they could focus on were these extraneous things that God wasn't concerned about. It says, uh, they, they had seen, verse 2, some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure, that is, uh, impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And Jesus said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Listen to what he says here. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. Now, this had to have offended these guys greatly because they prided themselves. We are the keepers of the traditions of God. We are the ones that obey God and we're the ones that are the examples to follow and things like that. And Jesus is telling them, you set aside the commandments of God in order to keep your traditions. Look at what he says in verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. <coughs> Excuse me. Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He says, but look what Jesus says. He says, but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, in other words, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you Pharisees and scribes, you're so fastidious in your giving and your tithing that you will give to the church, or the temple, I'm sorry, you will give all of your money to the temple and let your parents starve. Which is what? It's negating the fifth commandment to love your father and your mother, right? He's saying that you, you are so fastidious on doing these traditions of men, these things, giving to the temple, giving all your money to the temple, that if your parents, and back in those days, they didn't have any retirement. They didn't have any retirement homes. If, if, you didn't, if you were old, if someone wasn't taking care of you, you were going to die. Because there was, they didn't have their society, they didn't have um, you know, society structures that took care of older people and things like that. They had nothing. And so it was the responsibility of the children to take care of their parents when they were old. But the Pharisees were like, no, we're too holy for that. We're going to take our money, and instead of taking care of our parents, we're going to let them die, but we're going to give our money to the temple. See how holy we are. And so we, we, can do, we can do that, and, and, and even in modern days, because there's plenty of 
people who have parents that don't have retirement accounts yeah. and stuff like that. And the thing is, is we're going to see as we delve further into the New Testament, the giving is all about um, caring for people. Caring. Is ba- what are the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, and and there are certain there are ways that we're supposed to give and things like that, which we'll talk about. But everything is to be done out of love. Uh, again, they in the time of Jesus, they were building a temple that that wouldn't be finished until years after Jesus had been crucified. The temple was still being built as he was, as as Jesus was walking on the earth with his disciples, and it was a it was a, a magnificent, awesome building structure, m- people pouring millions of dollars worth of, of money into the building of it, and think of it logically. I mean, you've got this edifice that a large parts of it are covered in gold. Parts of it are just, I mean, it's just, they said it was one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. And these people are giving so much money to it. There was a time when Moses was building the tabernacle and people were bringing money to him that they got so much money that Moses had to tell them, stop bringing money. Okay. You don't hear that today in a modern church. <laughs> now, I'm guessing that at the time they were building the tabernacle, they had a lot of money to build the tabernacle, right? I mean, the temple, sorry. And so it, it's good to give to things like that. And I'm not saying that it's not good to support your church and things like that. But when you're, when your parents are dying because you're giving to the temple, then you need to reexamine. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And so again, they were neglecting the fifth commandment for the sake of their traditions. Turn to another place in Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 verse 9. It says, And Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Listen to what he says, I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes on all that I get. You see that? So again, this Pharisee is like doing all of his religious works and, and, and tithing and, and fasting and say, and he says, God, look at how holy I am. Look how righteous I am. He thinks that by his righteous deeds, he can buy God's approval. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you in verse 14, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, think about this for a second. You have a Pharisee and you have a tax collector. Both of them were probably rich. 
Both of them probably had all kinds of money. It says that the Pharisee fasted and, and, and gave everything that he had to the temple. It doesn't say that about the tax collector. Do you see that? It doesn't say the tax collector gave a dime right. to the temple or to God or whatever. But he was accepted by God, not because of his giving, not because what he gave, not even because of his religious acts. And that's the, that's the problem with tithing, is it can become a religious act. And I'm doing this act. And look at me, God. Look at, that, look at this that I'm doing for you. And it says that the tax collector is the one who went away, away justified before and God. And why is that? Because his heart was humble. Okay. And his heart was broken. And it wasn't about what he was doing for God. And again, this is, this is that fine line, okay? We do things for God because we love God. And I believe that... I mean, you look at Paul. Paul laid down his life because he loved Jesus. And it wasn't something he's like, well, you know, if God wants me to do it, he's going to pick me up and he's going to move me and he's going to cause me to do it. Paul went through hell to follow Jesus. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was, you know, he was thrown into prison. So I'm not saying that, you know, he did this because of the grace of God. So there's two people. One is a religious people, and all he does is to be seen. All he does is do the things that he does is thinking that he can buy God's favor. And then you have another man that's working out of his relationship with Jesus and because Jesus has set him free. Now they can both be working just as hard. And that's the thing. In the church, a lot of times, anytime you're exerting a little bit of sweat, anytime you're doing something that might be costing you a little bit, people will tell you, oh, that's just work salvation. God knows our hearts, right? And God knows the difference between someone that's serving him out of religiousness, trying to win his favor, and someone that's doing it out of gratitude. Someone who's been saved and says, God, I want to lay down my life, a living sacrifice for you. But to the human eye, a lot of times they look the same. Yeah. So we as believers, you know, Jesus says, by their fruits you'll know them. And that's the problem with the church. We don't look at the fruit. A lot of times we're just like Samuel. We look at the outward appearances. Man, look at this guy. He's dressed in this nice tie and he lives in this house and he's, you know, got this great car and stuff and he gives all this money to the church. Well, his heart might be a million miles away from God. Is he humble? That's the big question. Exactly. And it's just like the middle, the widow with the two mites. They gave in all that she had. Jesus says she gave more than anybody else. And by the context, you're going, you're going, you know what? Some of these Pharisees were probably giving vast sums of money. Right. And all she had, she gave her two last coins. And so, again, God looks at the heart. And the Pharisees, all they looked at was the outward appearances. And... If we're not careful, the tithe system can become that as well. Um, there are churches where people become elders, people become deacons based on the way that they give. They don't have any spirituality. They don't have any walk with God. But hey, we, we have to be careful how we deal with this person. 
Because they're wealthy. Because they, they give a lot of money to this church. They, right. they've, they've helped a lot of people out. They've done a lot of great things for the poor. They've done all these great things. Right. And that happens in so many churches. Because brother so-and-so gives so much money. Oh man, you, you can be an elder now. And essentially it's buying your way. It, it, that's exactly what they were doing in the time of Martin Luther. In the time of the Reformation, these people were just purchasing their way. They they would buy um, positions in the church. And it's happening again today. So basically, these, these verses are pretty much all of the New Testament ter- verses on tithe, except for Hebrews 7, the ones that talk about Melchizedek. And again, we'll hopefully talk about those next time. Um, so we're going to look at tithing in the Old Testament and uh, turn to Genesis 14. Where was the tithe instituted? Actually, we're not going to talk about Genesis 14 because that's talking about Melchizedek. Turn to uh, Leviticus 27. Can I ask you a really quick question? Yes. Was the widow, are you going to talk about the widow later? Uh, maybe. Was she, was she, so she was a widow, so she was unmarried and she was a female. It's kind of interesting to me, like God took, he's praising someone who's poor, who's a female, and who's unmarried, like he, and yet he is honoring her because of her heart. Yeah. So, like, he wasn't looking to her sexuality, he wasn't looking to whether she was married or not to some special person, he was just strictly looking at her heart and her humility and her overwhelming sacrifice. I think that's right. Really and again, cool. that has nothing to do with the message, but it is true. Jesus set women free. Um, we read the New Testament, and just the fact that Jesus had female disciples, female followers, that blew their minds. That was nothing that they had ever seen before. And it was not something that was acceptable in their society. And yet, again, we still have people today that are still trying to relegate women to that same place. Leviticus chapter 27. So this is the first mention of tithe outside of Genesis 14, which was a special type of situation and completely different. But as far as tithe becoming instituted as part of the temple ceremonies, as part of the Levitical priesthood, it starts in Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27, verse uh, 28. So again, he's talking about things, you know, sacrifices, burn, excuse me, burn offerings, things of that nature. Uh, in verse 28, he says, Nevertheless, anything which a man sets apart to the Lord out of all that he has, of man or animal or of the fields of his property, shall not be sold or redeemed. Anything devoted to destruction is most holy to the Lord. Now that word devoted is that same word, korban, that we talked about in uh, Luke chapter 7. Was it Luke 7? Uh, Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 7, where Jesus said that anything that you would give to your parents is korban for you. In other words, that's devoted unto God. This Lord, this is yours, I give this to you. And so whenever they brought a sacrifice to the Lord, it was korban. Devoted to destruction, just like Jericho, or not Jericho, but Ai, when God told um, the people of Israel to destroy Ai, everything in it, all the people, all the animals, everything. It was devoted to destruction. It was Korban. It belonged to the Lord. 
So it's that same word. Anything devoted to destruction is most holy to the Lord. Um, I don't get that. Like, um, devoted to destruction in what way? Like, it's a sacrifice? A sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, okay. Um, you know, even, you know, the Lord talked about cities being burned, and it was almost in the same sense as the offerings and, you know, the aroma to the Lord and things like that. Okay. Um, verse 30. Thus all of the tithe of the land, the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add to it, to it one-fifth of it. For every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He is not to be concerned whether it is good or bad, nor shall ex he exchange it, or if he does exchange it, then both it and its substitute shall become holy. It shall be redeemed. Shall not be redeemed. It shall not be redeemed. So again, these things were devoted to the Lord. Turn to, um, um, let's see, Numbers chapter 18. So in Leviticus and Numbers, this is when the people of Israel had come out of Egypt they had wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and all the original generation died out. And so this is the new uh, generation and they're coming into the promised land. And he's giving them, um, he's giving them uh, laws when they come into the promised land, how, they're, how to act. And part of those laws are the Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle and all the things associated in the worship of Yahweh. Right? Mm -hmm. Even the tabernacle, he told Moses, this is exactly how I want it built. There's going to be this amount of sockets. There's going to be this amount of boards. I mean, to the letter, he's telling them exactly how to make the tabernacle, even to the kinds of skins that were used to cover it and things. I mean, very detailed stuff. He was very, um, you know, wanted it to be done exactly as he said, because it was a picture of the tabernacle in heaven. And so basically when they came to worship the Lord, it was basically heaven on earth and God coming down and dwelling among his people and things. And so God wanted to make very careful, very sure that they, they obeyed it and did all these things. And so in, verse, in Numbers 18, verse um, 8... He says, now the, then the Lord spoke to Aaron. He said, now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings. Even all the holy gifts to the sons of Israel, I've given to you, given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be yours from, from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offerings of theirs, even every grain offering and every sin offering and every guilt offering which they shall render to me shall be most holy for you and for your sons. So in other words, he's saying when the people come and they put their burnt offerings on the fire and stuff like that, the priests and the Levites can eat of those offerings, right? And so so in a sense, it was not only an offering to God, but, but it, it's like the woman with the alabaster jar, how she broke it and it says the fragrance filled the whole room and everyone could partake of it. So it's a sacrifice to God that the priests were also able to partake of and the Levites. But wasn't it also like just kind of their provision because it was their Yeah, we're, we're going to see that actually. He says, this also is yours, the offering of their gift, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. 
Everyone of your household who is clean may eat of it. All the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Everyone of your household who is clean may eat of it. Every devoted thing, and there's that devoted thing, that korban again, thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all your flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you will surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. So he goes on talking about that kind of stuff. And then verse 18, he says, Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like the right thigh. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord. Okay, so um, verse 18. Let's start at verse 17, actually. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall offer up their fat in smoke as an offering by fire, for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering, and like the right thigh. I always like to think God likes barbecue. <laughs> anyway. Verse 19. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall, listen to this, the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So the the thing about it is is when the people of Israel when the 12 tribes of the of Israel entered into the promised land each tribe was given a certain allotment okay you can you can have this land here that's you know 500 miles or whatever you know I'm sure 500 miles it wasn't even close to that but the point being is that every tribe got a speci- specified part of land to be their portion and the Israelites were an agrarian society, so they grew crops and they raised animals. But the priests, the Levites and the priests, God said, you're not going to have any import inheritance. You're not going to have a piece of land where you can grow, uh, grow uh, crops and raise cattle and, and things of that nature. Rather than that, you're going to be supported by the people. So the priests and the Levites had no land of their own. They had, they had no, again, no place where they could grow crops or cattle or anything like that. Instead, they were entirely supported by the people of God, okay, by the other tribes and stuff. And so that's what God is saying here. Verse 21, to the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their ser- service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel, and so, verse 23, Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. 
So the purpose of the tithe was, again, for the, for the priests and the Levites and was to support the tabernacle. And later it was to support the, uh, the temple. Now, if you think about those scriptures that we read, number one, everything about it, everything about the tithe was never money. It was never about money. It was always about produce. It was about the, the things that the people grew. It was about the animals that they raised and things like that. They didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't money. Now, turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 14, because we're going to see that there was a particular place where the tithe had to go. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. He says, um, you shall tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And so um, we know that that place became Jerusalem, right? Where's the tab where, where was the temple? It was on the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's where God established his name. That's where he would have the people come and bring the tithes every year. Okay? So, verse 24. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place which the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, so they got money for the tithes. Well, we're going to see that again, they didn't give money to the temple. They, uh, they, they didn't give money. They gave produce and stuff. Verse 26, you may spend the money once, the, once you get to the place where the Lord your God chooses, which again was Jerusalem. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Listen to this, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there, listen to this, there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Now, what does it say in verse 20, 22? You shall surely tithe all the produce which you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. Now, look at this. And in, in, in verse 26, he says, you, he says, there you will eat part of your tithe in the presence of the Lord. Now, how does this jive with our modern concept of tithe? When God's saying, you take your tithe to Jerusalem, and part of that, you can eat it. Part of that, you can enjoy your own tithe. I mean, are, you know, is your church going to give part of the money back to you that you give? Verse 27, he says, also you shall not neglect the Levite. So again, the tithe was to support the Levite first and foremost. And so he says, also don't neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. Look at this in verse 28. That's a, another thing. He says, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, verse 29, listen to this. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow, the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town 
shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So what is he saying there? He says every third year you're to bring your tithe and everyone who's an alien, in other words, someone that's not born in Israel, someone that you know came to Israel and said, man, I want to be one of these people. Um, the orphan and the widow who are in your town, they are to come and eat of your tithe. You see that? And so even in this sacrificial system for the Levites and the priests and the temple in Jerusalem, sometimes you would be, get, be, be able to partake of your own tithe. And there were other times when you would give your tithe to poor people or widows or orphans. So again, how does that, if, if we're going to take the tithe from the Old Testament and apply it to the church today, you can't take part of it. You got to take all of it. Right? It's really cool, too, that, like, it seems like the motive, a lot of the motivation was the same that it should be for us now is, is, is to love people. Like, the Levites, God wanted to make sure that they, they had food and yeah. they had, you know, he wanted to make sure that they were, they, they could eat. And he wanted to make sure that the orphans and the widows could eat. And so, to me, it still seems very motivated by love, right. you know. And again, we're going to later, we're going to see how all this applies. But so we're, we're going to kind of end this one here. But I just want to ask a few questions. Is there still a Levitical priesthood? No. Is there a temple or a storehouse that we that we bring our tithes to? Now, again, you can say that this is your church. For them, there was one place. There wasn't a church in every on every street corner in every town and stuff. There was one place that they were to bring it to. Um, do we need to travel yearly to Jerusalem with our produce, with our animals? Do we need to sacrifice them to the Lord? What if you're not a farmer? What if you don't grow plants? What if you don't have any produce? What if you don't have cows? And so when, when we talk about the tithe, you have to take all of it. You can't just take pick and choose. Well, we're going to take the scriptures in Malachi because that really fits our, our, our needs and it fits our pocketbooks and so we're going to take those scriptures and we're going to really hammer those but we're going to leave out all this other stuff well you can't leave out all this other stuff okay you, if you're going to take part of it you have to use all of it it's kind of like a lot of the other uh laws in the old testament is that the a lot of the principles still stand but the to to do them exactly is not necessarily required, although the principle and the heart of it is still to stand. Yeah. And, and But the church is making it a law. When the church goes to Malachi and uses that to threaten and manipulate people, they're making it a law. So that's right. the big thing, I think. And that's the, the whole thing that we're going to be talking about is the difference between law and grace. How law, how, you know, in Galatians, he told them if you're going to, you know... If you're going to circumcise yourself, why not just castrate yourselves, essentially? And and basically, you know, it talks about in the New Testament. If you keep one part of the law, you got to keep all of it. And so, you know, and but yes, the, the things in the Old Testament were types and shadows of the things that were to be spiritual realities in the New Testament. So we're going to talk about how all this stuff transfers to New Testament believers. But it doesn't come down to us as law, right. and this ten percent thing that we're to give to the priesthood, to the, 
to the because the priesthood doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Jerusalem doesn't even well, Jerusalem does exist, but the temple does not exist anymore. Right. So we have to wade through all this stuff and say, what is God saying to the church today? That's good. Amen. Amen. Amen.